Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Uh, we've got Nathan with us today, uh, pastor of New Life Church, uh, and we're both bunged up full of snot. Uh, so excuse any coughing and sneezing and sniveling. Uh, we had a week away with Medhurst uh, family retreat last week. I think everyone's come back with a lady. Uh, so we're just thankful it's not COVID. Uh, are we doing brother? Are you all right? I'm, I'm all right. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much over this cold, but apparently it's everyone, everyone else is still struggling away. That's what happens when you're young and fit. It's, when you're old and fat like me, it lingers for a while, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, class. So, mate, uh, how long do you spend preparing your sermon? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the, the honest answer is I'm not too sure because, uh, you know, uh, parts of it you're just doing, it's, it's, you know, it's constantly in your head, isn't it? But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the reason I, I brought it up was, I mean, I don't know if you saw this tweet the other week um, posted by this guy, Brian Loritz, who I don't, I don't know who he is, but he got lots of people talking at the time. He said, if you're a solo church planter, stop trying to study 20 plus hours a week for the sermon. That day may come, not now. Uh, I know seminary screws you up. Study six to eight hours, hang with your family, lead, love on the people, share your faith, you're planting a church not a church service and uh i don't know at first i was like i, I disagreed with it and then i started to come around to it and then i just reread it this morning and i was i, I disagree with it again so um i mean i yeah lots of people kind of debating this should you spend 20 plus hours a week preparing a sermon and i, I think the short answer is probably not um but I don't think you should be too far off 20 hours a week. Um, I think his, you know, six to eight hours a week is is not going to be enough in order to be able to understand the passage and to to, to preach it well. Um, I mean, I think there might be instances where, you know, you're so busy in a week, there's so many pastoral situations going on that you you don't have the, you can barely manage even six to eight hours in a week to, to work on your sermon and you know god can be gracious and he can he can work through that can't he but i think as a, a general rule of thumb i think you've got to be you, you've got to have a good chunk of time so for me I, I try and get a couple of days in a week focused on getting the sermon done so it does work out as you know not far off 20 hours in in all probability um but i, I think it i think it depends also doesn't it on the passage i think it depends on who the preacher is i think different preachers need different amounts of time i think it depends on experience as well so i think you know when i when i first uh came to new life church i wasn't so experienced it, it would have taken me over well over 20 hours a week you know over several weeks in order to prepare a sermon because you know you're, you're new to it and you're still each step kind of takes you a while um, to figure out what you're doing and um yeah i think i think with experience you kind of speed things up a little bit but uh, I, i'd be wary of kind of cutting the process down down too much i don't know what's what, what what's the correct answer ian yeah i think the correct answer is pretty much you've said it isn't it it's context uh what type of church are you preaching in uh, how long have you been preaching what is your skills and and, and what is your gifting so like you say when you first came along to us, it would be 
uh, you, you preach every four, five, six weeks, once every four, five, six weeks. So you'd have several hours a week preparing over, over a month, uh, which still didn't seem long enough. I know it didn't for me when, <clears throat> I think when I first started preaching, it was once every quarter. And, I, and I'd start, as soon as I finished one sermon, I'd start working on the next. Which like anything, isn't it? Once you uh, grow in, in, in skills and in knowledge, uh, you can spend less and less time on it. But again, I think I would, uh, when I was full-time pastor, I was blocking out 16 hours a week in my work timetable to prepare. And then throughout that week, I'd spend time meditating on, on the passage, rereading it. And then generally on the Saturday, uh, I, I'd, spend, <laughs> I'd spend at least six hours on the Saturday. So for me, I, I probably, yeah, I, I'd... I'd on a busy week, if I couldn't fit time in, it would be 16 hours. And then on a week when I was freer, it'd be 22 hours. Uh, yeah, and I, and I didn't have a, have a problem with that. I've seen somebody saying that if you spend 20 hours doing a sermon, you haven't got time to see anybody. And I'm like, well, flipping heck, do you only do 20 hours a week? It still leaves you with like 20 hours. We see people day in and day out. My house was always, was always full. So again, it depends what your uh, ethos is regarding ministry. Do you just work 40 hours a week and then you work nine to five and that's it done? Or do you live in a 24-7 discipleship community like we do? So I, I could quite easily do 20 odd hours a week and I always have time to see people because like my time wasn't limited to, to a window to see people. They come around and have the tea together. We, we spend time walking the dogs together. So yeah. I think it's, uh, it shouldn't be constrained to a set amount of hours. What you should do is make sure you're preaching the word faithfully and your other responsibilities are covered well. And then uh, the more mature you are and the more experienced you are, you'll be able to blend these things better, won't you? But I, should, I don't think you should put pressure on anybody either way. All I say is if you're doing less than eight hours a week, then flipping neck, you, you shouldn't be preaching. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the other aspect of it that, that annoyed me was that he was kind of saying, well, if you're in a big church, you can afford to do that. Um, but if you're in a, a small church or a church plant, yeah. then you need to to limit your time and, and focus more on spending time with people. And and I can I can see where he's coming from. That in a church plant, you can't just be in your study all the time. If you're if you're looking to plant a church or you're in a small church, you can't just be locked up in your study doing nothing else other than you know reading commentaries and so on. But at the same time, I think, I think that's a dangerous way to think, isn't it? Because th there's a danger in us thinking, oh, there's only 10 or 15 people there on a Sunday. W why am I going to spend 20 hours this week preparing a sermon? Um, but actually, if I, was in a, if I was in a church of 150 or 200 people, yeah, then I'd, put in, then I'd bother putting in the extra effort. So I, I think that kind of didn't sit well with me, that side of it, that thought of, um yeah if you're in a, a small church or, or a church plant then you you don't need to spend so long i think either way you need to spend as long as it takes don't you and again to, to be fair to him i'm not sure what he meant but mm. he's talking about a small church and i agree with what you're saying there nathan it doesn't matter whether you've got five or 50 or 500 you need to be doing uh preparing your sermon to the best of your ability but if it's a church plant that hasn't started 
it's in the planting phase still, then yeah, your priority isn't to create a Sunday service. Now that was my problem where I couldn't wait mm-hmm. to become a proper church. And then I was spending too much time preparing a sermon. Uh, Sundays were so busy that I didn't have time to, <laughs> to recover, to, to actually do the business of planting, of uh, encouraging Christians to join us, to raise funding, to go and meet people in the locale. So uh, yeah, I think I can understand where he's coming from. We're not there to plant the service, we're there to plant the church. Once we have a church planted, then we need to uh, start developing what our Sunday service will look like, how our sermons are preached, what the music looks like. So, yeah, I think what he, he might have been saying, don't distract yourself with trying to be a church too early. Or he might have been saying, if you're a small church, then I wouldn't bother. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just yeah. trying to be devil's advocate. I know, yeah, there's lots of different ways to read it. And I think, yeah, lots of people have read it different ways. And yeah, I mean, some people in the replies were saying oh why spend six to eight hours you only need one hour a week to work on writing a sermon um yeah i mean i i think yeah there are two opposite dangers aren't there there's one is you you neglect it altogether and you think i've got so many other things to do and you don't spend any time preparing um you know the the food that you're gonna give to your sheep but then the other the other opposite danger is that that's all you do and you're like I say you're locked away and you study all all week long and and I, and I wonder I wonder what it is that that takes so long so either either are they just kind of making everything really slick and polished are they making sure that every illustration is told as as well as it possibly can be are they are they just reading every commentary that they can get their hands on and that's what's kind of taking up so long or um yeah well i don't know what, what do you reckon it is that that kind of takes people so long um you know that they spend all all week in their study working away on their sermon uh <clears throat> expectation fear uh i think a big one is comparing yourself to to other preachers uh, i think that's a, a big temptation but what you've got to understand as well so we we preach one sunday uh, the sunday morning so you can spend 15 to 20 hours preparing a sermon, but I know some pastors who, who are preaching three hours a week. They've got two services on a Sunday and a midweek service, and no way can you spend 20 hours preparing a sermon if you're doing it two and three times. So again, you've got to have have wisdom in that. But I think uh, I think the biggest problem with with people and preaching is. We either, like you say, we either take it too seriously and we want to be the best and, and stand out and, and receive the accolades for our sermon, or we don't appreciate it at all. And we think, you know what, I'll just wing this because what's more important is evangelism. And I think it's getting that balance, isn't it, between uh, you being confident that you know what the passage is saying and being confident in knowing what, what we need to communicate to our church. If we can understand the passage uh, well, what it meant then and what it means today, then you don't need slick uh, applications or slick illustrations. And uh, as long as we've got these applications that fit into real life, it doesn't have to be slick. I know pastors who will spend two or three hours just memorizing the sermon so they don't need notes. Now I think flipping that, that's a luxury uh, that I don't have. But even if I did have, I wouldn't want it. I just think that's yeah. just based. Do you know what I mean? It's If we, we understand the passage, uh, there's not an issue. We're not doing a TED talk. We're communicating the word of God. And I think having notes there uh, show the, the church that 
Uh, not we're, we're not just speeding our own things. We're using the Bible. We've taken notes. We're taking this series. We're not trying to, to win them with a slick presentation. We're, we're, we're delving deep together into the word of God. Yeah, so I think that's another danger as well, trying to present something slick. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, you've just kind of touched on something there, haven't you, that spending 100 hours on a sermon or on a passage doesn't necessarily mean that you've understood it properly if you've not spent the time well or wisely. Do you know what I mean? So you could, if you spend all your, you know, 90% of your prep time just on making sure that every every illustration is really slick and you've got it memorized and so on, then that's not the best use of your time, is it? Or similarly, the, the other thing that we were going to talk about um, in this episode was biblical languages. And I think this is, you know, this is the more con- kind of controversial side of it. Is that a waste of time in sermon prep? Is it a waste of time going through and kind of doing your own translation and going through every, uh, you know, every word of the Greek or, or the Hebrew? Is, is that what might, what some pastors might be kind of wasting their time on? Um, because I think the, the majority of pastors I know who, who know Greek or Hebrew say, I've basically never used it. I don't really need to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I spent all this time learning it, but I never actually use it. I guess the question is, should they be using it? And how, how should they be using it? Yeah, again, <clears throat> I have a friend whose son taught himself biblical Greek when he was 16. Do you know what I mean? So if, you, if you've got the time to do it and the inclination and the interest and crack on, if you find it beneficial to yourself and do you know what? I'd love it. If I, I'd love to be able to speak French or to do sign language. I haven't got the time to learn it. Uh, I haven't got the time to learn biblical Greek. I, I, I don't need to. So there's lots of things that I'd like to do that I don't have time to, uh, but as pastors, we need to do what we need to do and learning the language isn't what we need to do. We can trust in godly men before us who've translated well, godly men and women who've translated God's word for us. Uh, there's plenty of resources out there that helps us to, uh, like for the ASV Strong's exactly, just, I've got it on Olive Tree, you can just click on a word, it gives you the Greek and all the meanings and stuff. So uh, there's tools out there so you don't have to uh, spend your time learning these languages if you're not going to be an academic. If you're going to be preaching to the average man in the street, what do you need to know what the Greek word is for a tree from Lebanon and what the density was and <laughs> what type of parsons used in these in these bowls. Uh, yeah, so for me, I think it has its place specifically for uh, academics who, who are going to go deeper. I, I think it has its place in, in preaching. Uh, if, if you can do it, I think it's helpful, but it's it doesn't help you much more than some of the tools that are available for those who can't speak these biblical languages. So, so what do you think when when you hear a preacher say the, the Greek word actually means this? Like what, what's going through your head when you hear that during a sermon? What are you telling me for? <laughs> <laughs> right, and yeah, don't, what, what, don't, is that going to look? Don't get me wrong. If, if somebody sometimes you need to, to, to get to the root of the word to, to explain a, a specific meaning because our language is so fly, flowery, just how we use the word love as in like, I love chicken chow mein, or I love my wife, you know what I mean? We've got to be specific and, and explain well what the author like really meant. But yeah, you don't need to, 
I think it's pretty obvious without saying the word Greek. So you can just say, I, I love chicken chow mein, but I'll, I'll die for my wife. That, that will explain just as well as saying, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't even know the words. I'm not even going to try it. Even if I knew it, I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. <laughs> I can't pronounce English words, never mind Greek words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you can explain, you know, the, the kind of the strength of meaning of something in Greek without kind of having to give the actual word or, or, or so on. So, you know, you could say, you know, this, this word, our Bible says servant, but really it means slave or, you know, something like that, that you can communicate without having to, to kind of go into all the ins and outs of how that word has been translated and, um, yeah, how it might mean something different or, you know, the English words that are derived from it, all those kinds of things. You can avoid doing that in a sermon, I think, can't you? And if there's a power cut and I can't use olive tree, there might be some smug pastor who can speak biblical language who says, oh, well, at least I can find out the word. You can't because you're relying on your computer. But it's not. It's, it's quite rare, isn't it, that we have power cuts. So for me, I, I don't see why I can't just use uh, the technology that we've been blessed with to, to find out these words anyway. So, yeah, I think there's a there's a the same thing with how some pastors and some preachers look for validation for how long they spend in the sermon and how well they, they present the sermon. I think there's a similar kind of uh, attitude with biblical languages. So for me, I'd say the same thing. Do you know what? It has its place. And if you've got time, the inclination and the ability, then learn them, uh, but not at the expense of doing your job as a pastor or as a preacher. And yeah. so don't feel the need to waste time learning a language just so you feel you fit in with a fraternity or uh with your mates or you feel like you're not a, a validated pastor because you, you you can't know the word for like greek yogurt oinkos or whatever it is <laughs> the only greek i know so it's a uh, yeah I, again i think the pressure to learn languages so for me the frustration was i was speaking with somebody about setting up a bible college in the north of england and uh, we were quite hopeful that this might happen at one stage and th they were insistent on us teaching biblical languages and i was like why nobody like will use it there's no need for it but for us to have a bible college to be supported by them they wouldn't feel it was a valid college unless we were teaching biblical languages when we wanted to teach contextualization and uh, how to uh, apply well to the to the um, the north of england in particular the council estate so uh, yeah again I, I was frustrated that this college felt the need to teach these languages when quite clearly there wasn't one yeah, and, and I think part of it is that it has become a bit of a, a mark of orthodoxy, hasn't it? So, like you're saying there, you know, for a, a Bible college or, you know, some kind of seminary, it gives them a, I think it kind of shows that they're, you know, a good conservative evangelical Bible-believing institution if they teach the original languages. Um I think if if they don't offer that or or even enforce it as mandatory, um, then I think there's maybe a perception of oh well that's you know that's kind of less less of a rigor that's less rigorous as a course um, or as an institution. Um, I think for some reason people see that as like oh they offer Greek and Hebrew so that must be you know that must be a proper place I can I can trust that that must be uh, you know sound. Um, and then again, I think 
that same kind of thinking flows into into churches when they pick a pastor oh this pastor knows greek and hebrew so he must really he must be a really good solid bible teacher and what i'm saying is i don't think that's necessarily the case i think it might be helpful in some ways but actually uh, and this is what i was saying earlier is you can you could spend however many hours a week kind of passing each word of the greek text but actually at the end of it you might not know what the passage means you might know what each individual word means you might know what each sentence means but actually are you able to say this is what this passage means this is you know this is the you know, this is the main point this is the this is the object lesson of this text um and i think if you if you can't say what the main point of the passage is then you haven't you haven't done your preparation properly um and so that i think that's kind of what i was what was behind my my question earlier really was um yeah you could put in dozens of hours into studying you know the the minute details of, of the greek or hebrew but actually it doesn't necessarily mean that you've understood the passage as a whole and it doesn't mean that you're ready to to preach it and so that's and so that's for me that's the main thing it's like what are we putting all our energy into during a week if we've only got limited time and we do have other, you know, you've got family concerns and you've got evangelism to do and you've got to think about, you know, fundraising for your for your church and, and all of these different things. So your time is somewhat limited to, to write, to prepare a sermon. Is the best use of it to spend two or three hours memorizing what you've written? Is the best use spending four or five hours studying the Greek text? Or actually is the best time actually just a little bit longer to think through what does this really mean and um how, how does it apply to us and i think that that's kind of where we can often go wrong isn't it is we can get so bogged down in the details that actually we need to spend longer thinking through what does this mean and then i think you get the same because then i think you get the same problem when it comes to to bible courses and institutions like you're talking about so again what's the best use of what's the best use of your time so a bible college for them they think well the best use of you know a student has however many thousands of hours on this course we're going to spend half of those hours teaching them greek and hebrew is that actually the best use of of their time i would say probably not um actually what would probably be better is training those people on how to read the bible in english on how to understand a text, on how to understand what it meant then, on how to interpret it now, on how to see how it points us to Jesus, uh, on understanding what's the main point here, uh, on understanding how does this apply to our people. And so I think lots of training colleges might teach people how to deal with the, the kind of the minor details of a text. I don't want to say minor details because that makes it sound irrelevant or unimportant. Some of those things can be really helpful. But actually, if you can only learn one thing, I'd rather people learn, you know, this is how you read a text in English than this is how you read a text in, in a biblical language. And again, when you leave Bible college, the, the greatest thing that you should leave with is, is humility. Yet, sadly, I don't think many people do. Uh, I think you leave <laughs> thinking you're really, really well equipped. Uh, and the reality isn't until you... Uh, 
hit the ground running that you realize that that you're not equipped and in and in the other sense I had a bit of an attitude of well you don't need to go to Bible college to, to be your pastor and which you don't and, and I went in with the same pride thinking I know I, I, I did all my learning on the university of life and, <laughs> and on the streets and yet I thought I was ready to hit the ground running and it was only that when I started pastoring that I realized how little I did know and I had to start training and accessing these uh, seminaries and, 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 and Bible courses to, to develop my learning. And in a similar way, uh, you did the same, didn't you? You came and, and, and did probably equally as much learning on the job. So for me, you've done uh, biblical languages. You've got two degrees, one from Aberdeen, one from Durham. So first of all, tell me, uh, how well did that, how well did seminary prepare you for ministry on the ground? Yeah, uh, well, I've got, I know some Greek. I don't know any any Hebrew. Um, yeah, and um, I mean, it's slightly different as well because uh, all my theological education has been in secular institutions that, you know, they're not, they're not training you for ministry necessarily. So it's, you know, that's not what they claim to do or, or anything like that, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, as I said, I, I, I learned the, the Greek, um, which has been less useful to me than I thought it would. I, and occasionally it's useful. You know, occasionally I think actually it'd be good to know what that particular word really means in the Greek or, you know, sometimes it, sometimes English, the English language doesn't kind of do a word justice or, um, or it's just kind of limited in some way. So, um, you know, one example of that would be, uh, you know, the Bible often talks in terms of you and it will be referring to you as you plural the church whereas you know English we, we just have one word for you singular and plural don't we so we often kind of read it in quite an individualistic way so things like that 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 you kind of pick up on on slightly differently um I mean yeah I mean lots of things that I that I look back to that I studied that kind of been useless I mean form criticism I don't I don't use that on a on a day-to-day -day basis um but i mean was it interesting to learn was it was it kind of yeah worth learning how other people think and um i mean it gives you i guess more of an understanding of of why we can trust the bible and um so yeah even where where people come in at things from a different angle i think it's it's had some benefit in terms of of uh of helping me trust the bible um could could i have learned the things that were useful in a church setting probably uh i think if if churches were better set up for the for those things um but yeah i mean there's yeah um yeah lots of stuff that i've that i've used i mean they say that you don't go to university to learn like what to think about how to think and I think there's some truth to that isn't there that um you know the basic uh, you know you you learn things that you don't learn in school as to actually like this is how you read a text this is how you uh, understand it this is then how you communicate it to other people um so I think just you know on that basic level I think that there's a lot that I've learned and you know there, there's a lot of the actual knowledge that's been helpful you know the, the systematics 
uh, the church history, um, biblical studies. There, there are, you know, there are bits of knowledge that I that I learnt that that have been useful to me. Um, I'm not saying I could only have learnt those things had I spent however many tens of thousands of pounds I've spent, but um, yeah, I think I think there are things that I've that I found useful, and you know there. It's, it's a fine line as well, isn't it, between things that you find personally useful and things that are actually useful, like for your for, for your day to day ministry as well. Yeah. And what about your experience of learning in the church? Then what what do you think you've learned on the ground in a church setting that you couldn't learn in a seminary, seminary whether it be a secular institution or, or Bible school? Yeah. Um... So, I mean, I, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, I guess a more practical course than mine would have taught you how to how to lead a church service or how to write a sermon or, um, I don't know, how to, how to lead a funeral or, you know, how to plan a sermon series. These, these kinds of things that, the courses I've done haven't, haven't taught those. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if I'd gone to a, to a Bible college, maybe they teach those things. Um, but I think, I think those, it's difficult to learn those kind of practical things on the ground, isn't it? Of how to deal with people, um, how how to point them to Jesus, how to, um, yeah, how to how to lead a Bible study, how to, um, yeah, how to deal with people who, kind of, yeah, who who lose interest in the church, how to deal with people who. Um, want to go back to their old way of life how to deal with people who are going through serious times of suffering you, you can learn kind of theories for those things can't you and I'm you know I'm sure there's lots of great resources out there but actually you know I don't think you can really understand those things until you're on the ground and, and doing them yeah and I think there's a wealth of things that you can learn in 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 a church like you say definitely on a practical level learning from the experience of the pastors and the, the older christians within that setting as well uh, but do you think there's some limitations to what you can learn in, in a church setting and, and what do you think dictates that if there is um are there, are there limits to what you can learn in a church setting i mean I, I think it just depends on the church really doesn't it um i think it depends on on who have you got in the church? What's the the setting that your church is in? Um, I think that I think I'm struggling to think of anything that a church couldn't teach if they were set up well and if they used if they used other churches to to help them. Um, so I mean, I don't know. If we had somebody coming to us and they say, I really want to learn about, I don't, I can't even think of something off the top of my head, but some area of ministry that, that we don't do, that we're not involved with, you know, um, yeah, we want to do ministry to, I don't know, polo players or, so, you know, horse riders, some, yeah, some, something that, you know, you don't get on our, on our housing estate in Middlesbrough. Um, we wouldn't be able to, you know, we could teach them some basic stuff that, that they could then take into their context 
but actually you know they they'd be better placed in a church in that context or or working alongside you know you have two churches working together to teach um to teach that so one can teach um yeah so, so say we had say we had somebody who wanted to plant a church in the center of middlesbrough right um a much more ethnically diverse area got people of different religions uh different um different cultures um lots of high muslim population for instance we, we don't have we don't have so many people from Muslim background in this area. So do you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't really be able to teach people in kind of the specifics of how to train people to, to reach Muslims. However, if we had somebody come to us who wanted to plant a church in that area, we could teach them, you know, a lot of the, you know, the, all those things that we talked about, you know, the, the doctrine issues, the, um, the biblical theology, all that side of things we can teach. We can teach them the basics of, outreach evangelism church planting but for that specific issue of how to reach muslims we might say actually do you want to go and spend a couple of months with steve neal in oldham or you know somebody who's working on a regular basis with muslims and they can get that training there so i think even if a church can't offer specific training in every area i think by working alongside other churches then then i think they they can cover all those bases can't they which kind of leads us in uh, wonderfully and smoothly into what we're trying to do with Medias Ministries, <laughs> which this, uh, uh, honestly, it wasn't planned, but that's exactly what we are trying to do with Medias Ministries, isn't it, by uh, linking in with other churches to provide uh, support and resources, but also to, to learn and share with one another. So like you say, if we've got someone who's looking to, to reach the Muslims of Middlesbrough, we can send them to uh, Steve Neal and get some experience and training there and uh, again say if it's people who are suffering from uh, alcohol and substance abuse we can uh, work that out uh, again I think what what we're we're not even hinting at what we're saying is I think training is best done in context isn't it and whether that context be uh, a local church on a council estate or a local church within an uh, 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 upper middle class area of, 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 of London uh, the best way to learn to reach a community is by training within that community, I think. Is that what you'd agree with? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I think so. Um, I, I don't think there's much value is there in taking people out of their context in order to train them or sending them halfway across the country. I think if you can train people on the ground, um, ideally by the church, but, you know, yeah, use it. Obviously, we have online resources and so on now don't we in you know videos and books and and so on that you think well with, with everything that we have now there shouldn't really be much of a need to to take people out of their context in order to train them um yeah i think where possible if we can keep people in the context that they're training for then that's that's ideal isn't it <laughs>